At this time, KCICFM invites you to join us for our weekly live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church. Thank you, young people. We're going to begin tonight in Genesis chapter 30. And we're going to go through Genesis chapter 15. In a moment, I'll read our text. I don't think you're listening. We're going to start in Genesis 30 and end in Genesis 50. And in a moment, I'll read our text. Not all of it. It's my privilege to share something with you again. And the last time I was in this place, in the, at this pulpit, I asked the question, how big is your God? And we talked about how big God is and the attributes of God and his capability and came to the conclusion that our God is big enough to handle every circumstance he might allow us to get into. Tonight, we're going to look at the timeline of a contented man. It's going to be a different kind of message. And we will begin in Genesis chapter 30, and we'll end up in the, maybe not quite in Genesis 50, but we'll be close. And I'll not be reading a lot of the text as we go along, because my purpose tonight is to tell you the story of Joseph. And as we go along, if you picked up an outline, I made some outlines, 50 copies of the outline and on the back page of the outline, I made a timeline uh, for the life of Joseph. And you might want to have that handy to be able to look at. Um, if you did not get a copy, I'm not sure if there's still some on the table. I thought with 50 copies, husbands and wives might be willing to share. Um, I'm sure there's more than 50 people. But anyway, if you, need a, if you did not get a copy would like one, uh, we can see to it that you get one if you let us know. Being content with one's lot in life benefits, have benefits that are beyond any financial consideration. I have watched people that were wealthy and people that were poor. And I found people that were poor who were very content and people who were wealthy who were very discontented. Now it can go the other way around as well. But to have contentment in life is something of great value. Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And Paul went through all kinds of things in his life. He knew how to be abased. He knew how to, be, uh, to, be pushed, uh, to abound. He knew how to eat well and how to have nothing to eat and uh, to be content in whatever state he was in. We used to say, I can be content in any state, even Utah <laughs> or Minnesota. Uh, back in Minnesota, we would have lots of snow and lots of cold weather and lots of wind. And God brought me to Colorado. And I learned I could be content in Colorado, too. There's a lot of, in, there's a lot of reasons today in today's world to be discontented. I, met, I listed some in the, in the introduction here. From social media to politics to critical comments to financial insecurity to unresolved health needs, to careless treatment by friends, to, and you can fill in whatever blank you want to. Lots of reasons in today's world to be discontented. We're going to look at tonight, a man tonight named Joseph in the Old Testament who had a lot of reasons to be discontented. As we go through his life, we're going to point out the, the things that took place in his life 
that had they taken place in our lives, we would say, wow, tough to be content in that situation. And you know the story of Joseph, I'm, I'm assuming well enough that we won't have to read all the things that we're going to look at in God's word, but we'll take, take his story. Uh, I want to walk you through a timeline of the events of his life so that we can learn, one, that it is possible to experience great adversity and still be content. And number two, to learn his secret for being content with a large part of life that seemed to work against him. Joseph, what a man. What a godly young man. Didn't get very old until we leave him there in the book of Genesis. Now, the scripture passages that we'll look at tonight are historical narrative. A historical narrative is a story of something that took place back here in Bible times. Um, it is not a doctrinal passage like the book of Romans. I'm teaching Romans in Sunday school, and that's an extremely doctrinal portion of scripture, especially the first eight chapters, nine chapters, and even up through chapter 11, if we count the, the part concerning Israel in chapters 9, 10, and 11. But this is a story. This is history. And we, we handle history different than we handle a doctrinal passage. Um, we learn doctrine from the historical narratives, but that's not their purpose. Uh, we see the hand of God there. We see how people react to the hand of God and what God allows. Uh, but So we'll be looking at this as a story, as a his history story, history lesson of the life of Joseph. Uh, and my prayer is that we will go home tonight encouraged in the ability of our God to work on our behalf even when we don't see and understand all that he is doing. Patient trust in a holy, almighty God works wonders for those who exercise that kind of trust. We're going to close with a song about trust. I trust it will be helpful as well. And in this outline and in the timeline that you have at the back of, of the outline, as we go through this, I trust we'll see in the life of Joseph this snapshot this picture of what Joseph went through. And we can maybe say, praise God, I didn't go through all that he went through. But maybe you're going through something entirely different that's just as difficult. I want you to go away tonight realizing that whatever the circumstance is, you can trust God in such a way that you can be contented with whatever he brings into your life. Let's pray. Father, tonight... As we look at this portion of scripture, we, or these portions of scripture, we re realize that this man, Joseph, lived in a far different world in, than what we live in. He lived in a totally different time. He lived in circumstances that were so different from ours, it's even hard for us to put ourselves in his circumstances. Uh, but Father, we can learn the lesson of his life, and we can apply his life to our lives, and and learn that whatever happens in life, whatever you allow, whatever you bring into the lives that we live, we can learn to be content knowing that you are in charge, knowing that you are working, even when we can't see what you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish. May you, have, may you give us the grace to learn, to study, to apply, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to begin in Genesis chapter 30. And um, the year, as we look at the early life of, of Joseph, the year is 1914 B.C. Now, how do you know? 
I, I talked to someone who was there. You're with us tonight. Um, not really. Uh, John Whitcomb has spent years of life, and I'm not even sure if John's still alive. I, can't, I don't know that I've heard that he has died, but maybe I'm not sure. John Whitcomb, he's, he's, if he's alive and still, I think he might be still teaching and preaching, but he'd be uh, up in years. But John Whitcomb has spent his life looking at Bible history, the history of the nations around the, the people of Israel. And right now, if you're interested on KCIC on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 9 o'clock, he's teaching through the book of Daniel. And it is thrilling, if you've not heard that, it's thrilling to hear him bring in the, the years, the, the, the leaders of the world during that time, the history, the culture, it just makes the book come alive. I can't do that tonight. I don't have that capability that he does. But I'm using his timeline for the life of Joseph as we begin. And we see his, his birth and early life beginning in Genesis chapter 30. And in verse 22, I won't read all these portions of Scripture. I'll just make mention of them, and you can look at them as you will. Joseph was born to Jacob in 1914 B.C., the first of two sons who were born to Rachel, and get this, this is part of his story, the second of his four wives. If you grew up in a home with four wives, four mothers in the home, and one dad, and their offspring, I would think there'd be times in life when you would be a little discontented. Um, I did not grow in a home with four wives, but I grew up in a home with one dad and one mom, but we had seven kids. And we did not have seven bedrooms for the seven kids. And when I turned 18 and graduated from high school, I was not sad to leave and go to college. There, there are, you get that many people in a, in a household, and, and there can be some discontent. And Joseph grew up in this kind of home. I think it's important to see that in his life. He grew up in a family filled with conflict. Jacob, with his four wives... Jacob, in constant conflict with Laban after he fled from his home in Canaan, went down to be with Laban, the father of two of his wives. Uh, you, you see the picture that's developing in, in this account. Um, while Laban persuaded Jacob to stay for a, a time in, in, in there, he, he wanted to leave and was prepared to leave, but Laban per, per, persuaded him to stay on a little bit. Uh, and, and so he lived there, Joseph lived there with with um, Jacob and or you know, with Jacob and his four wives and and the siblings, eleven brothers and a sister and and all the things that went on in that household. You can read the story of that. After Joseph's birth, not too long after that, Jacob prepared to leave Laban, but Laban persuaded him to stay. I'm not sure that that was a fun time for Jacob after that. Now, he said concerning Laban, you have changed my wages ten times. <laughs> uh, you remember the, how he manipulated and how Jacob manipulated. And through that whole situation, Genesis chapter 30, verses 25 and 26, and chapter 31 and, and, and verses 17 through 18. And finally, uh, Jacob did leave. And he got permission from God, and Jacob did leave. Laban's household, and, and, uh, he, and he tells to his wives, your, your dad's countenance is not towards me like it used to be. Maybe you've had that at work, or maybe in a family situation, somebody looks at you 
a little different than they did before. And this was a reason to be discontented in, in Jacob's life. And he says, I'm going back to Canaan. And they leave without telling Laban, and Laban chases after them, catches up to them, and they have a powwow, and they make a treaty with each other, and Jacob goes on to the land of Canaan. Joseph's a young man, a, young, a youngster at this time. Letter B, J, uh, Joseph grew up in that home, and get this, as the favorite son, having been born to the favorite wife. If you grew up in a home where mom and dad played favorites with the kids, imagine adding four wives and having a favorite wife and you the favorite kid to that wife. Can you imagine that the conflict in that home, that kind of a home? A lot of reasons to be discontented in, in that situation. Now, they, if they have gone back to the land of Canaan, they settle in Canaan, and here the year is 1897 B.C., and Joseph is now 17 years of age. That's found in Genesis. We've skipped ahead to Genesis 37 now, in verses 1 and 2. And not only is Joseph the favorite son of the favorite wife, but Jacob has made it a point to point that out to all the family. And, and Jacob has given to Joseph a coat of many colors. We won't talk about what that coat might have been but a coat of many colors, a special garment that would set him apart from all the other brothers and make him stand out and let them know that daddy really, really likes Joseph. Really likes Joseph. How would you like to be the one wearing that coat of many colors and having all the brothers look at you and say, Ugh. In fact, the Bible says that they came to hate Joseph because of this favorite position in the home. Can you imagine being in that place? Do you think you might have some reason for discontentedness in, in that situation? We find that in chapter, you know, chapter 37, verse 3. Verse 4, Joseph's brothers hated him. And on top of that, Joseph happened, now it didn't happen, God brought it to pass he dreamed a couple of dreams now joseph didn't have to tell those dreams but he did and in those dreams in one of the dreams and and i'll, I'll just take the first one they were out gathering the grain and and you, you find this in in chapter 37 and in uh, uh verses 5 through 11 and in those verses we find that joseph dreamed the dream about gathering the sheaves of grain and and out in the field, his brother gathering sheaves of grain, and, and his grain stood upright, and, and their sheaves bowed down themselves to his sheaf, a bundle of grain. And uh, he tells that dream to his brothers, and they're not happy to hear that. Uh, they say, so you, so you think the day's going to come when we're going to bow down and worship you? And then the other dream that he dreamed was similar, and he told that to his dad. And he says, you think that your mom and I had the sun and moon and stars, and you think, you think we're going to bow down to you? And his dad, dad had made that comment, but his dad remembered that phrase. He took that dream, and he pondered it. He wondered what that meant. But that just increased the anger of Joseph's brothers towards him. 
Just increase the anger. Can, can you put yourself in that place? You, you, you're not only the favorite son of the favorite wife, and, and your daddy puts a, a, a garment on you, but then you have a dream, and you tell the dream that indicates that your brothers are going to bow down to you, and, and, and you're the younger one in, in the family, and, and boy, they, now they're really unhappy with you. And in those early years of their life, Joseph, uh, Jacob has flocks and herds and one day he sends his sons out to take care of the flocks and herds and take them up towards Shechem. Genesis 37, verses 12 through 20. And as they're in Shechem, uh, Joseph stays back with dad and dad calls Joseph over and, and he says, Hey Joseph, I want you to go check on your brothers. Uh, he'd done this before in the earlier verses of the chapter. He had brought back an evil report. And I can imagine Joseph wondering, do I really want to do that? I see some trouble brewing here. Away from the homestead, going to check on my brothers that don't really like me, they hate me actually, and I may have to bring back and tell a report on them, tell on them, tattle on them. And, but he was an obedient child. And he went. Went to see his brothers. Went to Shechem, couldn't find him there. And he asked around, and they said, well, they've taken the critters to Dothan. And he went to, towards Dothan, and, and there they were. And to put my own spin on this, I see them gathered around the campfire in the camp. Now, it doesn't say anything about a campfire, but if I was in their place, I would want a campfire. Well, I was out camping in the, out in the hills, and... And I see them gathered around, and, and they look up, and they see Joseph coming. And because of that special coat that he's wearing, they know that it's Joseph that's coming. And they say to themselves, this is our opportunity. Let's slay him, and then we'll see what will happen to his dreams. We'll slay him, throw him in a pit, Tell daddy that a wild animal killed him. And then we'll see if his dreams come true. Well, in the meantime, they do drop him down into a pit. And as they're sitting around the campfire debating about just what they're going to do. That's a Dobson interpretation. Uh, along comes a train of merchantmen going down to Egypt. And one of them suggests, let's not kill him. We can get some money for him. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites that are going by. And they'll take him down to Egypt and they'll sell him as a slave down there and we'll be done with Joseph. And so they bring him up out of the pit and they sell him to the Ishmaelites. And they take him down to Egypt and they sell him to a man named Potiphar. And here, if you're looking at the timeline, it is now 1897. And he's just a little over 17, maybe almost 18 years of age at this time. Genesis 39, verse 1 now, through Genesis chapter 41 and verse 5. What was it like in Potiphar's house for this young man? The Bible indicates that he was very faithful to whatever duties Potiphar gave him. He was a diligent young man, showed great promise, in fact, he made such an impression on Potiphar 
that Potiphar took this young man and put him in charge of all that he had. Everything. Can you imagine being 17, 18, maybe 19 years of age, and you're, you're hired as a slave, bought as a slave to be in a household, and, and you have done such a, a good job, had such a good attitude, you were so faithful in whatever they gave you to do, that the master of the house puts you in charge of everything. In fact, the Bible says he knew nothing about what went on in his house but what Joseph told him or what he found on his plate when he ate meals. Everything was in Joseph's hands. Now, in that circumstance, it appears that Potiphar, because he was relieved of his household duties, traveled, went on trips, went, was gone. And in that time, Potiphar's wife began to chase after Joseph, pursued him. And day after day, she would pursue him. And day after day, he would escape from her. Until the day came, and you can read about this account in, in uh, chapter 39 now, in verse, verses 8, 9, 10. As she finally gets close to him and grabs his coat, he slips out of his coat and leaves. And Potiphar's wife takes that coat, talks to the other servants, says, this slave, this Israelite that my husband brought into the household, he tried to pursue me, and here's his coat. I've got proof. And when Potiphar came home, she told the, told the story, and the other servants collaborated her story. She told them the story. And evidently, without checking with Joseph and asking for his part of the story, he, he cast Joseph in prison, just, just like that. And so you go from being a servant in a house to being the leader of the house, and then from being the leader of the house, based upon false accusations, you get thrown in prison. Any reason there to be discontented? I think so, yeah. And, and then the prison, he becomes such a model prisoner that the jailer watching him and listening to him and seeing his wisdom and seeing his demeanor and his character puts him in charge of the prison. Everywhere this young man goes, he gets elevated. And so he's in charge of the prison, and, and who knows how far this, along this goes. You see in the chart that there's nine years, um, or 13 years, before, between the time that he's sold into slavery to Potiphar and, and when he comes out and is, is exalted in the nation of, of, of Egypt under the Pharaoh's instruction. But somewhere along there, he's thrown into the prison, and, and, and he stays there who knows how long. And back in the palace, the king is having a hard time with his butler and his baker. I don't know what they did wrong, but the king, the pharaoh in Egypt, had absolute power, and he was fully capable of making a decision, and he ordered the baker and the butler thrown into jail going into prison. And you find that here in, in this account, in uh, chapter uh, 40 now, verses 1 through 4. So they're in the prison, and the, and the jailer puts these two men who are used to being in the palace and all the luxuries of the palace and the responsibilities that they had in the palace, now they, he puts them under Joseph's care. So here's this young guy, over these men who have been serving the king in the palace. And he's in charge of them. And days go by, who knows, a year maybe goes by. 
And one day, Joseph looks at them one morning, and he says, how come you're so sad? He could see their countenance was sad. How come you're so sad? And the butler says, I had a dream last night. I'll tell you what, I don't tell everybody my dreams. Some of them are so strange. But the butler told the dream to Joseph, and Joseph says, God has an answer for that, and he says, here's the interpretation of your dream. The, your dream means that in three days, Pharaoh's going to lift your head up out of this prison, and he's going to restore you to your place, your job. And, uh, well, that's good news. Well, the baker heard that interpretation. He, he said, you know, I had a dream too. And he explains his dream, and Joseph says, well, your dream's kind of similar. He said, in three days, Pharaoh's going to lift your head up out of the prison, but he's going to hang you, kill you, and hang you on a tree. Ooh, that's not good news. Three days after that, those dreams, Pharaoh had a birthday, and, and on Pharaoh's birthday, he had a big party, and he called the butler out of the jail and gave him his place back to, to serve him in the palace, and, and the baker he killed and hung on a tree, just like Joseph had said. Now, Joseph seen an opportunity. He says to the butler, he says, when you get to see Pharaoh, you tell him about me down here. I'm here unjustly. I've been falsely accused. I don't belong here. You tell Pharaoh about my situation. But the butler gets back in the palace and he's so happy and excited about getting his job back that he forgets completely about Joseph down in the jail. Have you ever had that kind of a moment? I did last week. On Friday, I picked up my grandkids, and our secretary gave me an envelope for their mom, my mom and dad. And she says, would you give this to a responsible adult? And so I tucked that with a bulletin that I had picked up and put it under the armrest of the car and dropped them off and drove home. And this irresponsible adult completely forgot about the envelope. <laughs> I think Becky might have got it this morning, okay? Um, he, the, baker, the butler forgot. And God allows Joseph to spend two more years in that prison, two more years. And he cannot help but think, I told that butler, I told him, when you get back to see Pharaoh, you, you remind him that I'm down here and that I shouldn't be down here. Father forgot, but God didn't forget. And God sent a dream to Pharaoh in that situation. And suddenly, now we're in Genesis 41, verse 9, verses 14 through 16, verses 29 to 32, chapter 41. And when Pharaoh starts talking about his dream, and he brings in the, the wise men and the sorcerers, the fortune tellers, that served him, and, and they couldn't tell the dream. Then the, baker, the butler said, Oh, I remember my fault this day. <laughs> now, I remember two years ago, I was down in that prison of yours, and, and, and there was a young man down there who was in charge of the prison, and, and I had a dream, and, and, and he told me my dream and interpreted my dream, and it came true. For me and for the, the baker who was there with me, it came true for him. And him you killed and hung on a tree and me you restored. And I'm, 
I'm so sorry, I, I forgot. And Pharaoh sends for Joseph and brings him out of the prison to the palace. And Joseph cleans up, shaves because it was un, wasn't acceptable to have a beard as, a, as an Egyptian, so he shaves and presents himself to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, I, I had these two dreams. And the first one was the dream about seven fat cows and seven lean cows. Remember the story. And in the dream, the seven lean cows ate up the seven fat cows. It's a dream. Never happened on the farm. And, and they, they didn't get any fatter. They stayed skinny. He says, what? And then the other dream was kind of like it, with ears of corn. And, and Pharaoh says, what, what could this mean? And Joseph says, oh, God has the answer to your dream. And he said, what God is doing, is it, the dream, two dreams are one. It's two dreams because it's really important. And, and the, in the dream, what's going to happen is that you're going to have seven years of bountiful crops, beautiful crops, full gardens, full, uh, full, full ears of corn, and, and a wonderful harvest. And then you're going to have seven years of famine. Nothing's going to grow. He says, King, I, I, I'd suggest that you would find somebody in your kingdom who's wise and put them over a program to gather in all the surplus corn for those seven good years and store it up so that in the seven lean years you can feed your people. And the king looks it around at his wise guys, I mean, wise men and his courtesans and he looks back at Joseph and he says, who can we find who's wiser than this one? And he puts Joseph over that program and, and puts his signet ring on Joseph's hand and gives him the second chariot to ride in. Pharaoh rides in the first, Joseph rides in the second and, and makes sure that everybody will bow down to him because Joseph suddenly becomes the second ruler of the kingdom. And if you look at your timeline, he is 30 years of age at this time. 30 years of age. And suddenly he is tasked with gathering up all the corn that grows all the surplus and building surplus cities and storage bins and silos and whatever to store this corn for seven years. And he does that. And then seven years of famine begin. And there's food in Egypt. Everybody's doing fine. Up in Canaan where Jacob and the family lives. There's a famine up there too. And they run out of food. And sometime during that first year, they, uh, Jacob says to his kids, he says, you go down to Egypt and buy food. I've heard that there's food in Egypt. He gives them money and they go down. But he keeps Benjamin, the youngest, home. That's Joseph's brother who was born to Rachel. By the way, Rachel died when she gave birth to Benjamin. So Benjamin is really now the favorite child for Joseph or for Jacob in that household. And so they go down to Egypt to buy corn, and as they come in to deal with Joseph, he recognizes them. And he begins to work on their guilty consciences. 
And he says to them, you're spies. I know you're spies. To spy out the land and check it out, that's why you're here. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, we're, we're, we're 11 boys, there's one that's not, and one is home, and, and uh, our father's alive, and we, we're really here to buy food. They, they go on and explain, and he says, no, you're spies. And he puts them in a ward, and the next day he says, I'll tell you what we'll do. I'll keep one of you here, and the rest of you go home, and to prove that you're really the sons of one man, and that you're not spies, when you come back to buy food, you bring your younger brother with you. And so they pack up their corn and they leave town. And that night they open their sacks to feed their animals. And lo and behold, in every sack, there's their money. The money they paid for the corn. And they're thinking to themselves, we're in trouble. We're in big trouble. But they pack it up and they take it on home and they tell the story to Jacob. And, um, and, and he says, you left Simeon there? He says, Joseph is gone and now Simeon's in Egypt. And what am I supposed to do? And so they run out of food again. And in that second year, he says, okay, boys. Time to go to Egypt again, get more food. <clears throat> Dad, you remember what we told you a year ago? If we go back to Egypt, we need to take Benjamin with us. Oh, no, not Benjamin. Oh, yeah, we got, we've got to take Benjamin with us. Because the leader down there in, in Egypt, he said that we're spies, and if we don't come back with Benjamin, we can't bring Simeon back with us, and we'll all be put in prison because we're all spies. And the proof is going to be that we're truthful when we bring back this younger boy younger brother that we told him about. Well, why did you tell him? Well, he, he seemed to know how to ask the right questions. Amazing how he got that out of us. Well, I'm putting words in their mouth a little bit there. But they, so they go down with the original money and money to buy more. And they come in and Joseph recognizes them again. And he, he sees Benjamin. And he says to the servants in his house, he says, prepare a meal for I'm going to eat with these guys tonight. And they are taken to Joseph's house and they're really wondering about what's going on. Joseph is talking through an interpreter and they carry on a conversation among themselves and they don't know that he understands them. Would you like to be Joseph in that situation? And they're talking about this is because <laughs> this is because what we did with Joseph. It's, it's coming back to haunt us in, in that circumstance. And he sets them in order in their birth order around the table. And when they bring out the food, Benjamin gets five times more food than all the others, than, than each of the others do. And they're looking at this, they can't figure it out. And in that conversation, they, they find out. He tells them, okay, fellas, I'm, I'm Joseph. In fact, he has to leave once because he is going to burst into tears. He, he goes out and weeps, and then he washes his face and comes back in. And, and he, says, he says, fellas, he says, I'm Joseph. And in, in the revealing that he is Joseph to them, 
we, we find that they don't really know what to say. He says, fellows, he says, here's Simeon, take your corn, take your money, or take your corn, go back and bring dad back with you. Bring Jacob with you, and, and I'm in charge, and I've got, we got plenty of food. I, I'll take care of him. I'll take care of the family, and you'll be fine up here. You come up here and move here, and they sent wagons home. Pharaoh sent wagons with, with the boys to bring Jacob back, and and they go back, and Jacob just can't believe it. Joseph's still alive. I'll go. I'll see my son before I die. And Jacob and the boys come back to Egypt. They settle in the land of Goshen. And everything really works out pretty well for them in that situation. You see all the times in Joseph's life when he could have been greatly discontented in that situation, in those situations? He wasn't. What do we learn from this man, Joseph? What was it about this young man's life that kept him being faithful and dutiful and in, with integrity and with honesty and integrity? Where everywhere he was pushed down, he rose again. What was it about it? And what can we learn from this young man's life? I'm looking at the last page of the outline, and with, J with Joseph coming or Jacob coming down, uh, that's in 1875 BC. He's 39 years old, and he lives for 17 more years. His father lives for 17 more years, so he dies uh, when Joseph is 56 years of age. We don't take time to read all that account that's left there in, in the book of Genesis. But what do we learn about this man? What was his secret? I put down four things in the conclusion about this man that we can, I think we can learn from him. The first thing is bad things happen to good people. Just because things are not going well in someone's life, your life or someone else's life, it doesn't mean that they're bad people or that you're a bad person. Now it could be, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. You cannot find a young man who is more sterling with more integrity, with more honesty, with more faithfulness, with more determination to do right than this young man Joseph. And time after time after time, he would, he would rise and then he'd get kicked down. He'd rise and he'd get kicked down. He'd rise and he'd get kicked down. And finally, he's been honored and exonerated in his position there in Egypt. So, so bad things do happen to good people. And we shouldn't assume that bad things mean that God is doing something mean to us, it could mean that God has a plan that we don't know about and that God is preparing circumstances and preparing people for something that he wants to accomplish, some great thing that he wants to accomplish. Now, number two, God does not always reveal just what he is doing, what he is trying to accomplish and for Joseph, it took 22 years of adversity before Joseph finally understood what God was doing. In Genesis chapter 45 and verse 5, that visit where they were sent by him down to get the father and bring them up, he, he says to them, because they're, they're afraid. I mean, this is the second ruler in Egypt that they have abused, and they, they told their dad was dead and all these things that had taken place in those years. And he says to them in Genesis chapter 45 and verse 5, 
Now, therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. He says, fellows, you, you think you did a bad thing. It really was a bad thing. But God was in it. And he's reminding them that God had a plan that he was trying to accomplish, and he was using them, even in what they, their hearts wanted to do that was bad, he was using them to accomplish a good end. God may allow bad things to come into your life and make life miserable and difficult and where you can be discontented, but remember, God may be having, he might have a plan that's much bigger than your circumstance, and that's really important, and we need to trust him in, in those things. Number three, we should look for the hand of God in times of adversity. At every evil turn, we should trust God that he knows what he is doing and that he has a good purpose in every part of it. We should just assume that. Nothing catches God by surprise, and every circumstance we find ourselves in is there because God at least has permitted it and many times he's ordained it for a purpose that only he knows. And Joseph learned that lesson. Number four, we should learn that we can trust God in everything. After Jacob died, I can't remember the age that he died. He was 131 years when they brought him down. I can't remember how old he was when he died. But when Jacob died... Joseph's brothers really got worried. Dad was gone, and they were sure that Joseph, with the power and the authority, was going to get them at last. And they, they said, let's, let's tell Joseph that before Dad died, he, he told us to remind Joseph to, to be kind to us and treat us well, because coming from dad, he'll, he'll probably do it. And so they, they tell Joseph this story before dad died. He, he told us to, to, to tell you to, to be sure to treat us right, treat us well, and, 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 and not be mean. And all the things that they were imagining that Joseph might do to them because of what they'd done in the past. And in Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 through 21, you can look there and read it if you wish, but... They're probably familiar words. Joseph said to his brothers, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? Remember, the New Testament tells us, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. He's big enough for that if he chooses to do that. Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, and they did. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. What made the difference in Joseph's life? What, what kept him contented through all these circumstances might, that might make him discontented? He had come to trust the hand of God no matter what God did or what God allowed in his life. No matter who the people were in his life, he trusted God in that. 
And he maintained his integrity. He maintained his faithfulness. He maintained his trust in God. He kept on doing what was right. In the end, it worked out wonderfully. God showed himself strong in this young man's life. All this, all the time of this encounter, at the time of this encounter, at the end of 1858 B.C., Joseph is now 56 years old when his dad dies. It has taken almost 40 years of faithfulness on Joseph's part before the full import of, the, of God's faithfulness in the midst of trials could be fully known. I say, don't give up on God. Let him have his way. Trust him. Follow him. Obey him. You don't know what he's trying to accomplish, and we don't want to spoil what he's trying to accomplish. God doesn't always work on our schedule, but we can be sure of this. His plan is always best. His plan is always best. Joseph did that, and look at what God did. Now, one more note about all of this. He lived in a different day than we do. We have an advantage that Joseph did not have. Think of the history and the time when Joseph lived. He, he lived at the time when the nation of Israel first went down into Egypt. They were going to be there for 430 years. He died down in Egypt. They embalmed his body and he made them promise they'd take him out and bury him in Canaan. They had done that with his dad. Moses was born during those years. And it was Moses who wrote the first five books of the Bible. Joseph did not have a Bible. There was no Bible written at that point. All he knew was the history that he had heard around the table at home or that his mom and dad had explained or, or things about God that he had picked up along the way and, and, and no Bible. None of the history, none of the stories, none, none of the doctrinal teaching that we have today. And still this young man trusted God in every step of the way. And this man who could have been so discontented, so bitter, so angry, was contented and kind and faithful. May God give us that same spirit in the lives that we live today. There's a lot of reasons to be discontented today. All you've got to do is open the newspaper, turn on the news. May God give us the grace to trust him. Thanks for joining us for our weekly live broadcast from Pear Park Baptist Church. We pray the service was a blessing to all our listeners. Our earnest prayer is that you personally have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Romans 6 and verse 23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 10:13 tells us, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'd like to trust Christ, you must first believe that you're a sinner, deserving of God's judgment, and that Christ died to pay God's penalty for your sin, and that he rose again from the dead then you may, right now, pray. And according to Romans 10.13, call upon God and ask for salvation through Jesus Christ. If you've made a decision to trust Christ, let us know. 
The number of the offices at Fair Park Baptist Church is 434-4113. Someone's generally available to take calls during regular weekday business hours. In addition, the best means to spiritual help and growth is through faithful attendance at a Bible-believing church. We would encourage you to be at the very next service of Pear Park Baptist Church. Our weekly prayer meeting and Bible study is at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. Sunday schools at 10 o'clock a.m. Sunday mornings with the worship service at 11 and at 6.30 p.m. the evening service. Pear Park Baptist Church is a fundamental Bible-preaching and Bible-believing church located here in Grand Junction at 3102 E Road. And once again, we appreciate your joining us for this live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church.